The first scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 19, and it can be found on page 5 in your pew Bibles. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The second reading today is from Matthew chapter 15, verse 10 through 20, and it can be found on page 1521 in your pew Bible. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. 
If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And this is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive whatever it is you'd give us. Because, Lord, we come to this place from different places, carrying different things, and you alone know the condition of our hearts. You know what we carry with us. Lord, you know exactly what it is we need. And so, Lord, for the hope and the healing, for the peace and comfort, for the joy that can only come from you, we open ourselves to it today. Through the word, through the preaching, through the singing, through the praying, through the fellowship one with the other, Lord, may it all be for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice in your bulletin another insert amongst the many that are there, and y'all are juggling it, and I know bulletins are going everywhere. This is an insert. Um, There's going to be an insert in your bulletin each week of this particular sermon series that we go through these Methodist distinctives. And today, as we talk about that cheerful topic of sin, you have an insert in there. And I'm going to invite you, as things come up, you have questions or comments um, about this topic or about Methodism more broadly, to write that down. And then as you leave the sanctuary, next to the video booth is a box with an opening at the top. You can just put that in there. Um, And I'm going to collect those. And at the end, uh, we're going to have an opportunity for me to address some of the the questions that you might have or things that came up for which you'd like a little more clarity or a little more insight. Um, You can do that. So you'll be given one of these each week uh, and it'll have the week, uh, the week will change as to what the topic is. But this would be a great way for you to keep track of those and put them in the box next to the video booth as you leave uh, worship this morning. Last week we introduced our sermon series of this six-week look at Uh, Methodism. And last week was kind of an introduction to the beginning of our movement with John Wesley, the principal founder of Methodism, and his brother Charles, who is uh, a prolific hymn writer. Uh, John was the pastor, and pastorally through sermons and through commentaries, uh, that's how he primarily communicated and preached. And with Charles, it was through hymn writing. Through lyrics. And so Methodists from our very beginning have believed that singing is a great way to communicate our theology, what we believe. Uh, and so John and Charles Wesley, these brothers, both of them priests in the Church of England, founded this movement. And as I mentioned last week in a piece that I think is so important for us to keep in mind as we move through this, is that Methodism from its beginning 
was intended to be a dynamic, Holy Spirit-fueled movement. John Wesley, if it were not for the American Revolutionary War, there probably would not have been a Methodist denomination. It was never their intention to begin a new church. They wanted to reform the Church of England. Uh, but given the, what happened in the colonies, and as you can imagine, after the war, all the Anglican priests were like, I'm, I'm getting out of here. They all went back to England. There was a vacuum for ministry. And so John Wesley ordained two men, one that you may have heard of, Francis Asbury, the other Thomas Coke. He ordained them to come to America and to begin the Methodist movement in earnest. And so to do that, they started to uh, gather clergy together and to train them and then to deploy them, to send them out. They started to organize as a denomination. Um, But that spark of a movement... A reform and renewal movement um, is something that I believe we need to remember and perhaps in some corners of our movement to reclaim. That we were intended to be a, a movement of the Holy Spirit. There were three things I mentioned last week that happened to John Wesley that were so key. Uh, in moments where he realized not only the peace and the presence of God, but also God's power in his life. And that can be a model for us as we are Christians following ultimately Christ, but also looking to John Wesley for uh, insight and, uh, and uh, principles as to how we are Christians in this particular expression of the body of Christ. Um, to remember that we too can have not only the peace that Christ brings, but also the power that the Holy Spirit can give us to be his witnesses in the world. And as I mentioned last week over these, these five weeks today and then the following four Sundays, looking at biblical doctrines that are not uh, particular to just Methodists, but that we perhaps emphasize in our understanding of God and what God is doing in the world. So, for example, today we're going to talk about sin. It's not just Methodists who believe in sin, but really to understand Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, first we have to start with the human condition. What's wrong with us? You see, Methodists like to talk a lot about grace, and we absolutely should talk about grace. Grace is primary. But why do we need grace? If there's nothing wrong with us, what's the point of grace? The fact is, there's something deeply wrong with us. And therefore, we need the grace of God. Perhaps one of the most pernicious lies that our culture tells us and that even sneaks into the church at times, is that you and I are okay just the way we are. You cannot crack the pages of this book and come away with that assumption, that we are okay just the way we are. We are not okay. And I think even those of us who might not like to admit it, if we're honest with ourselves in our more real moments, we know we're not okay. We know we're not okay. And we don't have to just look at the glaringly obvious examples of humanity's brokenness to get a sense of that. We don't need to look at world leaders and despots and horrible moments in history uh, from the Inquisition or down through the Holocaust and beyond or, or what's playing out in the world around us. We can look in our very hearts. And we know that we're not okay. We know something's amiss. 
You see, Methodists talk a lot about sin, but we also talk about something called provenient grace, which I'm going to get into next week. But provenient grace helps us to make sense of that feeling. Because Methodists say that even before we can know God, even before we can make a decision for Jesus Christ, that God already starts to work in our hearts. And that feeling that something is amiss, that we're not okay, that we're actually broken, and that As St. Paul said, the things that we know we should do are the things that we don't do. And the things that we shouldn't do are the things that we actually do. We Methodists believe that that's God already working. Stirring in our hearts to lead us to him. So while we talk about the reality of sin, next week we're going to get into grace more fully. And we have to hold that together. Because these two, we'll see how they walk in tandem. And how grace can redeem even, as the hymn writer said, the foulest sinner. So what is sin? I'm going to put that question to you. You're going to put on your theologian hat with me this morning. What is sin? Things that I should not do. Things you shouldn't do, okay. Things unpleasing to God? Things unpleasing to God? Weakness? I think you said something similar, Troy, to, to Billy, right? Things that hurt God. Going against God's will. Getting mad. Getting mad. Oh, gee. Well, if that's the sin, half of you have already sinned today. <laughs> Missing the mark. Missing the mark, yeah. There's a Greek term for sin that echoes a word that is used in archery. And how an archer, in aiming for the target, when it continues to fall short, to miss the target, that that gets at the life of sin, continually missing the mark. All of what you have said is true and correct. And yet I would put to you that it is that and it is deeper and it is more. We have in Genesis chapter 3 this text of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And God has given them this beautiful garden. He's created them in His image. And He's given them free reign over everything. They have a million options open to them. Except for one. Except for a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve are tempted by the tempter who says, come on, God is kind of a drag. You don't want to submit to God, come on. God's only telling you you can't do that because he you know, doesn't want any competition. You'll be like him if you eat that. And so being lured in by this temptation to be the master of their own fate, Adam and Eve take from the tree and they eat it. And I think it's so interesting here. I'm going to go down a rabbit trail for a moment here. Uh, But you see the effects of sin immediately when God comes to them and he asks them the question about it. What happens? Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Isn't that just the life of sin? It's somebody else's fault. So they take and they eat. And in that act, and we talked about this weeks ago, in that act, they make an assertion. 
There's something implied in the action of taking from the tree. And that is, I will be the one who decides good and evil. I will be the Lord of my own life. You see, when God places Adam and Eve in the garden, he wants to be in a relationship with them. A perfect relationship where they are equals, equal to each other, equal in sharing and caring over all that God has created. But it's still a relationship between human beings and between God. And in this moment, Adam and Eve seek to level that playing field. To be the ones who can determine good and evil. To not be subject to a higher authority. And so in a moment, they know what they've done, and God comes to them. You see, friends, here is something that we find out in our discussion of sin. Even in the middle of sin, what happens? God comes to them. God pursues them. God wants to know what's happened. God seeks to repair relationship. Don't we find that in the Gospel of Luke? In those beautiful parables where God is the one who initiates. God is the one who searches. Yes, God lets human beings deal with the consequences of their own actions, but he never leaves them alone. He constantly comes to them with his arms wide open, seeking to embrace them and to love them. And so, yes, sin is all the things that you mentioned. That impetus, that, that, that motivation that we find that begins in the Garden of Eden for human beings to look out for their own interests, to be the own arbiters of good and evil, to be lord over their own lives. <clears throat> and yes, all of that gets played out in action. But it's deeper than that, isn't it? There's something about our fundamental nature that is amiss, that is askew. John Wesley talked about it this way. He said that each one of us, every person here today, you were created and you bear the image of God. There is something that you, in a relationship with God, as God intended you to be, you communicate something into the world. You reflect an image of God that is unique to you. But sin has marred that. It's like if you, if you were, you, you take your, say you're standing in front of the Mona Lisa. And in my case, I take my glasses off. I can't even see the hand in front of my face. I could see that there's a painting there. I might be able to make out the outline and the edges, but there's just no way that I can take in the full effect of that painting. I can't see it clearly. There's something about that image that's lost on me. And in the same way, there's something about each one of us. We were created in God's image, yes, but sin has marred that image. It's, it's dulled it. It's made it blurry. It's not clear. It's not clean. And John Wesley said that there's something in what Christ has done for us that is then communicated to us through the grace of God that restores that image. That's what salvation does, justifying grace, that it restores that image so that we are then able, by the grace of God, him always working through us, that we can start to be who we were originally created to be. To be in love with God and in love with one another. We see that, yes, in actions as many of you identified. Getting mad or rooting for the New York Yankees. All of those are sinful things. Sin is, yes, it's communicated in action, but it's more than that. 
It's something of a bent, of a brokenness in human nature. And how do we see this? In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is talking to Pharisees, good religious leaders who often get a bad rap. And I wonder if they get such a bad rap because if we look at them and we're honest, we see that we're a lot like them. Pharisees were focused on the externals. The external markers of religion and piety. People praying a certain way, dressing a certain way, um, offering public religious acts in a particular way. And Jesus moves beyond all of that and goes right to the heart. It says, no, don't get focused on the externals. It's what comes up out of the heart. That's the problem. And yes, that's manifest in all sorts of wicked ways. But when you focus just on the externals, you never get to the root cause. You never get, as it were, to the heart of the matter. And that there is something in each one of us that needs the grace of God, that needs a healing touch, that restores us to what we were originally intended to be. I remember uh, in a history class in college watching an interview that Mike Wallace gave in 1983 on 60 Minutes. And he was talking, I forget the gentleman's name, but he was a Holocaust survivor. And I don't know if you maybe remember this or know from history books that in 1961, Eichmann was arrested and brought on trial. And it was broadcast all around the world. Eichmann, one of the principal architects of the Holocaust and the concentration camps. And this Jewish gentleman who had been a Holocaust survivor, had been in one of the concentration camps that Eichmann frequented, came into the courtroom and cried out and fainted and collapsed. It was a real dramatic moment. And so 22 years later, Mike Wallace is interviewing him on 60 Minutes, and he showed that clip. And he said, what happened? What caused you to faint like that? Expecting him to, you know, maybe be overcome with fear, being in the presence of one of his former tormentors, or maybe being overcome perhaps with joy that Eichmann had finally been captured. And this Jewish gentleman said, no. He said, because when I looked at Eichmann, I saw myself. His actual words were, there's a little bit of Eichmann in every one of us. Wow. Wow. There's a little bit of Eichmann in each one of us. You see, friends, that is the truth of the Christian message. That each one of us is worse than we dare admit. And yet, the hope of the gospel is that we are loved beyond anything we ever dare dream. See, we have to come face to face, friends, with the reality of the matter. And that is that each one of us is broken. Each one of us is sinful. Yes, we do sinful acts. There's also a condition of the heart that inclines us away from the things of God. That disrupts that relationship. That puts us at odds with one another and with God. That mars that image in which we were made. And yet at the same time, we are loved and we are given more grace than we ever dared dreamed possible. You see, friends, because while the fall, that descent into sin, happened from eating of a tree in a garden, there was another garden 
where someone prayed. And there was another tree upon which someone hung. And because he said yes to that tree in that garden, there was a price that was paid for you and me. Where you and I don't have to stay in our sinful condition. Where, where the things that we know that we shouldn't do, where the thoughts and the motivations of our hearts that are aligned against the things of God is not the way it always has to be. Because of what Christ has done for us, we can be resaved and redeemed and made new again. That image of God can be restored. As John Wesley said in his sermon on original sin, he said, know your disease, but also know your cure. Yes, there is a disease, friends, but there's also a cure. Because there's a God who comes into our sinful lives even now, even before we can turn to him, and who says, I love you. My grace is for you. I want to give you mercy. And because of what he's done for us, sin does not have to have the final word. Ultimately, it will not. But even now in our daily lives, there is grace, there is grace, there is grace. Amen? Amen.